0: You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you five messages J. Oswald Sanders presented at MBI Missions Conference 1987. J. Oswald Sanders was General Director of Overseas Missionary Fellowship and the author of more than 40 books on the Christian life. Now, here is J. Oswald Sanders on Today in the Word radio. This morning, my topic is the crisis of the cost and the compensations. I'd like you to read some verses from Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. Luke, chapter 14, reading from verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, He cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish Or, supposing a king is about to go to war against another king, will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way... Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Our Lord was always realistic. He was never pessimistic, but he was always realistic in his expectations. He was always frank and honest in his dealings with people. He never enticed them with rosy pictures of what it would mean to follow him. It's true he desperately needed followers if he was going to fulfill his worldwide program. And he he was surrounded by the crowds. He could very easily have worked upon them. He could have flattered them. He could have performed a miracle. He could have promised them all kinds of things. But when you read this passage, it seems as though he's almost intent on discouraging them, making it difficult to follow him. And indeed, he was. Why was that? He wanted people to follow him with their eyes wide open. He let them know what it would mean to follow him so that when the going got rough, they would not become discouraged. that is why he was so devastatingly frank in setting out the costly conditions of discipleship. You know, I I think we do a disservice to many to whom we preach the gospel. We major in the blessings and the benefits that come from salvation and thank God they're very wonderful. We tell them about the excitement and the fun that comes when you're a Christian, but we very much Play down the cost of discipleship. And that is why many do not continue walking with the Lord. Jesus never did that. He was always frank. And when he stated the conditions of discipleship, they were very clear. First of all, he demanded an unrivaled love for himself. We're to love father, mother, brother, sister, wife, And our own life also. Less than we love him. An unrivaled love for himself. Otherwise we can have his salvation. But we can't be his disciple. He says that unless we are willing to every day take up the cross and follow him. Unceasing cross bearing. We cannot be his disciple. The cross is always the emblem of sacrifice. And for him. It was the sign of the rejection of the world. And Jesus said, you're to take that up every day if you're going to be my disciple. And then, the most devastating of all, he said, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to give up everything you have. That's a strange way of gaining recruits, isn't it? And yet, why did our Lord do that? He did it because he wanted men and women of quality. And I believe that's why the, the, the same conditions are for us today. We hear a lot of disciple, about discipleship. We take discipleship courses and so on. But when it comes to discipleship living along the terms that are set down here, are all of us living in this way? Are we living as disciples? It becomes a different thing, doesn't it? our Lord used two very appropriate illustrations. He used the illustration of a man who's building a tower and of a king who's battling against the enemy. And those were the illustrations he used in this parable. Well, he's building also, he's building his church. He's battling against the powers of darkness. And he wants to enlist us to be co-workers with him as he builds his church and as he battles against the enemy and for work like that he needs men and women of quality, not those who would turn back when the battle gets difficult. He could have got ten times as many people to follow him if he'd only relaxed his demands a little. But our Lord does not relax his demands. The demands on us today are just the same as they were on the missionaries at the the beginning of the missionary enterprise. Although we don't always recognize that fact. He's looking for picked people. I wonder whether the reason John Mark fell out and became a, a dropout after the first missionary journey. I wonder whether the reason was that he didn't do what the Lord said here. He didn't sit down and count the cost. Maybe that was it. But the Lord didn't want to have recruits, people who would flunk the test when the going becomes difficult. When your government called for the people for a space program, good many years ago, thousands of men offered. What did they do? What did they do? They began putting them through tests, suitability tests, And one after another, men were eliminated until at last from the thousands they got down to a hundred. And then there were still more stringent tests and more stringent tests until at last there were only two. Why make it so difficult? Why? There were thousands who were willing to do it. They wanted the very best that America had, men of quality for the unknown tests that lay in the future. And our Lord is looking for the same thing. There's a verse that I used to think of often in past years, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those who are wholly committed to him. And as the Lord looks round on us here today, including the preacher, as he looks round, does he find a person of quality? Are we wholly committed to him? If so, we can count on him being totally on our side in order that he might show himself strong on behalf of those who are fully committed to him. Even in Jesus' day, he didn't have one long unbroken success story to tell. In John 6, 66, it says this, From this time, the time when things were getting difficult, many of his disciples went back and no longer followed him. They became dropouts. Why? Because they were not men and women of quality. They weren't prepared to pay the price. You know, in our affluent and comfort loving generation, we've grown soft and flabby. I'm from New Zealand, you're from America, exactly the same conditions are applicable in my country as in yours. But there's little doubt about it that we have become soft and flabby. The word discipline is a very unpopular word. It's the ugly duckling of the psychologists, but it's very prominent in the Bible. Have you ever thought that the last one of the fruit of the Spirit is discipline? If you are walking with God and in touch with the Holy Spirit, one of the marks will be that you will be living an increasingly disciplined life. And yet that's not what we want. We want to do our own thing. But God wants us to do the things that he wants us to do. You know, it would be very incongruous for a cross-bearing Christ to be followed by cross-shirking disciples. Are we prepared every day to take up the cross and follow him? A young man said to me not long ago, he said, I think I'll take a trip to Asia and have a look around and see what things are like. And if I feel comfortable about it, I might go as a missionary to Asia. Well, that's the kind of person Asia could do without. If I feel comfortable about it. Now listen, I believe that is one of the danger words of current Christianity. We'll do things if we are comfortable about it, if we feel comfortable about it. I suggest that you cut that right out of your vocabulary and substitute, is it commanded? If God commands it, what does my comfort got to do with it? Jesus didn't feel comfortable about going to the cross. Paul didn't feel comfortable when the Holy Spirit told him that stripes and imprisonments awaited him in every city he went to. If I feel comfortable, my brothers and sisters, that kind of language will never fit a missionary. Whether it's comfortable or not, I've been commanded to go. I've been commanded to pour out my life. I've been commanded to deny myself and say no to myself. Not say yes and sit back and be comfortable. I could be very comfortable sitting at home in my lazy chair. Lazy boy chair. But the Lord, that's not his plan. And so I'm very happy to be able to do what he wants me to do because he commanded it. And I believe that if we get that kind of spirit, we'll, we'll see more happening in the world today. The Lord challenges us to sit down and count the cost of serving him, not the soft option. If you're a person who goes for the soft option, choose some other career than a missionary. Dynamic leaders have always found that there has been the best response to the difficult challenge. Garibaldi was an Italian patriot. The enemy was marching down against his country and they had no adequate army to go and repel the invaders. Garibaldi went round trying to summon young men to go with him and to march against the enemy. He came to one town and he found a group of young men around the corner. They were talking as young men do. And then Garibaldi said to him, I'm going to them, I'm going to Rome. It's, I'm going to raise an army to go and fight the enemy. They said, Well, what will you give us if we follow you? He said, What will I give you? I'll give you hunger and thirst and forced marches and battles and death. You'll not get pay or quarters or provisions. Let him who loves his country in his heart and not with his lips. Follow me. Did they follow him? Indeed they did. And with his scratch army, Garibaldi went and met and defeated the enemy. I believe that's the kind of spirit that's needed in the world today if we are going to see significant advances in the missionary realm. One of your great and quaint preachers, Vance Havner, who went to be with the Lord a little while ago. Those of you who have heard him will never forget him. He said this, As long as the church wore scars, they made headway. But when they began to wear medals, the cause languished. It was a greater day for the church when Christians were fed to the lions than when they bought tickets for the grandstand. It's so easy for us to be grandstand Christians, but the Lord wants us to be involved in building His church and in battling against the enemy alongside Him. Well, does the Lord find in you and in me people who are fully committed to Him, irrevocably committed to Him, to stand side by side with Him no matter what the cost is? I think the popular prosperity teaching that peddles the myth that all spiritual Christians could have and should have, be wealthy and healthy and so on, I think that's quenched the spirit of sacrifice in many. I know it's not taught here, thank God. But I I believe that that is doing something in our Christian community to sap the will to be obedient to God, even although it means cost. And if there is going to be the final assault against the powers of darkness, there's got to be sacrifice on the part of people. There'll be a cost in obedience. There'll be a cost in prayer. There'll be a cost in hard cash because the missionary enterprise is getting more costly every day. In some cases, there's going to be the cost of life itself. Three or four years ago, I was traveling in Canada with a young man, one of our OMF missionaries. I was deeply impressed with him. He was a fellow about 35, 36, and he was a he was full of fun. He was also a man of God. He'd been a successful missionary, and he was uh, shortly to go back, and. I thought, boys, here's, here's, here's a man who's going to be one of our leaders. He went back to Thailand and uh, before he went to his, the center where he worked, he went to speak to the students in the language school. And in talking to them he said, you know, if we're going to see a spiritual breakthrough in Thailand, We need men and women who are not only willing to live for Christ, but are willing to die for Christ. And he spoke on in that strain. Well, he went back to his center and he was there a little while. One day he was in a Thai home explaining the gospel to the people there when a man broke in the door with a gun and shot him dead. If we're going to see a breakthrough, we need men and women who are willing not only to live for Christ, but to die for Christ. Was that death in vain? Indeed not. It produced real fruit among the Thai people, and it has roused many young men to go back and and take his place there. No, it's not waste. The Lord prizes these things Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Yes, there is a cost. When you go back in mission history, uh, the cost was greater then than it is now. David Livingstone, the great pioneer in Africa, reported on one occasion that he had had 27 attacks of malaria in two and a half years. Have you ever had an attack of malaria? If you have, you won't want 27, I tell you. 27 attacks of malaria in two and a half years. But listen to what he said about it. These privations, I beg you to observe, are not mentioned as if I consider them in the light of sacrifice. I think that word ought never to be mentioned in anything we can do for our Lord. 27 bouts of malaria for love of the Lord. David Brainerd's prayer of dedication breathed exactly the same spirit. Listen to him. Here am I Lord, send me. Send me to the ends of the earth, to the rough, the savage pagans of the wilderness. Send me from all that is called comfort on earth. Send me even to death itself, if it be in thy service, and to promote thy kingdom. There was the, the spirit of sacrifice. Listen to this. In the first 60 years of missionary work in Africa, very few survived more than two years. I remember hearing Dr. Bingham, the founder of the Sudan Interior Mission, tell the story of how he, and I think it was two other men, went out to uh, to Africa to do missionary work. The other two died within a very, very short time, and Dr. Bingham very nearly died. He was invalid at home. And they'd, uh, they'd, uh, they'd been able to do very little. And there, those two were taken away, but you think of what's happened through Dr. Bingham, and think of the worldwide sweep of the, the Sudan interior mission, because men were willi- and women were willing to go and sacrifice their lives and even to die after a very short time. Sometimes the battle was long and casualties were many, but think of the harvest there is today. In Africa today, it's been said that 20,000 people every day are turning to Christ. There there was cost, but oh, the compensations. William Carey worked for seven years before he baptized his first convert in India. Seven years. Robert Robert Morrison toiled for seven years before his first Chinese convert turned to Christ. Henry Richard worked seven costly years in the Congo for the first response to his labors. Robert Moffat waited seven years to see his first convert in Central Africa. When Robert Moffat had been out there nearly seven years, his church in Scotland wrote to him, and they said, we'd like to send you something for a a Christmas present. What would you like? Robert Moffat wrote back, Please send me a communion service. Well, what's the point of a communion service when you've got no communicants? That was Robert Moffat's shout of faith. He was saying, I am believing that by the time that communion service arrives, there will be those who will sit down with me around the Lord's table. And of course there were. God couldn't but respond to the faith of his servant. It cost Henry Martin His academic career, that brilliant student who gained the highest uh, highest mathematical honors the world had to offer. He had said, he said, but when he had attained his ambition, I found I had grasped a shadow. But when he reached the shores of India, he'd found Christ meanwhile and become a missionary, He knelt down on the sand and he said, and now let me burn out for God. And he did burn out in seven years, but not until he had left the New Testament translated into two of the languages of India and another language. Oh yes, he burned out, but the compensations. You think of what the world, you think of the thousands of people that have been influenced because he was willing to pay the cost. It cost a Cambridge graduate who came to see me once. He was offered, his father wanted him to go and succeed him in a business with 2,000 employees, but it involved certain things that he wasn't willing to do and he felt God calling him to the mission field and he renounced that great offer in order that he might go and be obedient to Christ. Yes, there is cost. It costs money sometimes. Sometimes. I was preaching in a church in Britain, in Bristol, and at the close, an elderly man came up to me and he said, oh, I heard you preach 30 years ago. He said it was the most expensive sermon I ever listened to. He said at that meeting, God asked me to give twice as much as I had been giving for missionary work. He said, I did it, and I've been doing it ever since. But he said that was an expensive sermon. There was a man, he was one of the leading surgeons in the city of Bristol, but God challenged him to cost half as much, twice as much as you've been giving. I wonder if the Lord asked us that whether we'd be willing to do it. There is a cost, but thank God, there is also a compensation. And what compensations there are. Cost is part of Christianity. It cost the Lord everything he had. But think of the compensations. Listen to what the Lord said. I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive 100 times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. And with them, notice the Lord's realism, and with them, persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. In this present age, a hundred times, the compensations far outweigh any cost that is involved. I think of one young lady whom I met in Canada. She said to me, do you think my artwork could be used on the mission field? I said, yes, it certainly could. We could make use of it in our, in our uh, literature program. Well, she came to our mission and she went to Indonesia. She used to work on the art and our literature. She learned the language. She became proficient in it. She used to write articles. And then she got a request from the Indonesian government, an 85% Mohammedan country, in which they asked her to be responsible for drawing up the syllabus for teaching Christianity in 2,000 high schools. Can you get that? The first article in the Indonesian constitution is that every Indonesian must have a religion. And they don't specify, there's there's religious liberty there. And the government, the Muslim government, undertakes to pay for teachers to teach whatever religion the student elects to take. And here was this young woman who was asked to draw up the syllabus for teaching Christianity. She chose the texts, the passages that were to be studied. And they asked her to write the notes that the teachers were to use for 2,000 high schools in Indonesia. And for many years, she's been doing this. Well now, she was all right doing her artwork in Canada. If that was God's plan for her, she shouldn't have gone to Indonesia. But think how much more influential her life became when she placed herself on the altar. And there, there will be thousands upon thousands who have found Christ because she gave up her home gave up her profession in that that context and went out and God opened this tremendous door for I saw her in Indonesia not very long ago she's no longer young but what a, what a compensation has come to her through serving the Lord in that way compensation listen to what Paul says the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Well, Paul, was it worth it? Was it worth all the stripes and imprisonments that you had? Listen. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord The righteous judge will award to me on that day. This is what he's had before his eyes. The reward that comes from the Lord when he says, Well done, good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And when I am dying, how glad I shall be that the lamp of my life has been blazed out for thee. I will not care in whatever I gave of labor or money one sinner to say. I will not care that the way has been rough, that thy dear feet led the way is enough. And when I am dying, how glad I will be that the lamp of my life has been blazed out for thee. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and a message J. Oswald Sanders presented at MBI Missions Conference 1987. J. Oswald Sanders was General Director of Overseas Missionary Fellowship and the author of more than 40 books on the Christian life. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.